We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Jarowski. And this week we're discussing Indiana Jones from the film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And to help us with our discussion, we are joined by Pete Mummert from the Indiana Jones Minute Podcast. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So just real quick, Pete, with the Indiana Jones Minute Podcast, this is one of the movie by minutes. I think our listeners are familiar with them by now. And how many of the Indiana Jones movies have you covered so far? We have done both Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom, and we're just about to start recording Last Crusade, so this is very timely for me. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah, it's just for any listeners who aren't aware, it does go minute by minute through a movie. So if you are a fan of Indiana Jones and want an in-depth discussion, I don't think there's a better place on the internet for you to turn <laughs> than the Indiana Jones Minute Podcast. <laughs> it, is, it is one of my very favorite of, of all podcasts, and, and movies by minutes in particular. It's one of the, the few that... When you guys are releasing, I have to get that episode that morning and oh, nice. listen to it. So Thanks, Andrew. I, I always make sure I get you guys in because I just really <laughs> enjoy the the <laughs> the balance you guys all have between the three of you. You're you're one of the only ones that does three standard hosts. And the mm-hmm. balance that you guys have as you discuss it is just so enjoyable and you can tell how much you guys really genuinely enjoy these movies and these characters. Um and it's just it's a it's a blast to listen to. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And it, it definitely, it makes a big difference. Like we've all three known each other for years and years and we all three love these movies. So that makes it, I mean, it's just like hanging out with your friends doing these. So, Well, we are glad to have you on to talk about Indiana Jones. It kind of reached the point where we're like, guys, we're a hundred plus episodes in. We've not talked about <laughs> Indiana Jones and our whole premise is we're going to talk about great characters and great stories. So we've got to get this done. Uh, we are discussing the 1989 film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was directed by Steven Spielberg and based on a story by George Lucas and Menno Meijes. I'm not 100% sure on that pronunciation. It is M-E-Y-J-E-S. I'm assuming and it's it Mayes because Spanish. Mayes or Mayes. Yeah, yeah probably one of those. Yeah. Uh, and it had a screenplay by Jeffrey Boehm. And Indiana Jones was, of course, played by Harrison Ford. And in this is the story of Indy and his father, played by Sean Connery, as they attempt to stop Nazis from getting the Holy Grail. So, guys, we always have a, a moment where we say, how did we come to this story? Do any of you remember how you came to Indiana Jones? This one in particular? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, for me, Indiana Jones was just one of those characters that was always around. Uh, so I don't have any distinct memory of the first time I was introduced to Indiana Jones. What about you guys? I'd say the same thing. Um, I do remember when this film came out. I would have, I mean, 1989, I was eight, nine years old. Seven. Seven. Yeah. Eight. And uh, I remember watching it, like, shortly after it came out. We had the uh, the novelization of the film, and I read I read that uh-huh. and loved it. And now I'm like, man, I was young. 
I was young to be really into Indiana Jones. <laughs> but uh, man, I really enjoyed this film since when I was a kid. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I I, uh, I I first saw Raiders when I was a little kid. Like I saw Star Wars when I was a really really little kid, and that just completely rocked my world. And I think completely changed the direction my life would have taken otherwise. And then this was the second big one that hit, like when or not yeah. just but Raider when Raiders came out. Yeah. And then from that moment on, I would like I was obsessed with history and archaeology, and because this seemed more like a. Yeah, I loved Star Wars, but this seemed more like a Star Wars that, you know, maybe you could actually live yourself, which I thought this, was... Because this is what archaeology is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're six years old, this is what archaeology about that, is. <laughs> I got to ask Andrew, because he's not going to be able to be quiet when we're talking about Indiana Jones. No. Do you remember at all how you came to Indiana Jones? I remember our dad specifically, like, he made a point, like, these are Indiana Jones movies, and he only showed me Raiders, and he showed me Last Crusade. He didn't, like, we didn't watch Temple of Doom. Like, like growing up, like, it just wasn't in the rotation. Like, both our, both our parents didn't enjoy Temple of Doom much, and so I think I was probably a teenager before I even was like, oh, yeah, there's another Indiana Jones movie. Why don't we watch that one? <laughs> because, like, these two were, were just so perfect. And then you um, watch it, and you're like, oh, because I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, and, but, um, like, my dad, I think, made a special point. I was probably eight or 10 years old. Like again, like probably too young, but at the same time, like just the right age for Indiana Jones, <laughs> uh-huh. which, which I think being a little too young is the right way to watch Indiana Jones. Cause you feel like, Oh wow. Like I'm, I'm ready for this. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it feels like slightly you know, transgressive where you realize you probably weren't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, this is like a very bloodless and even like there's imp- implied sex, but it's a very sexless, yes. you know, I mean, I mean, story, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is not bloodless <laughs> in, in one particular scene, <laughs> that's, especially. That's, that's true. Um, but yeah, like I, I think our dad, it, like he set aside like a Friday night and is like, it is, it is special movie night this week and next week. You're, you're up to watching these two Indiana Jones films and we're going to watch them these next two weeks. And yeah, I, I couldn't have been more than 10 because I definitely remember, um, watching, Last Crusade, um, drinking out of a Star Wars Phantom Menace cup. <laughs> and so that, that certainly like couches the time period. Wow. It was, it was like a Star Wars Phantom Menace, Anakin Skywalker themed cup. And I drank cream soda. I remember it so specifically, but, um, and I think that was the, the first time. And it, it was kind of like a big movie night for the whole family. It was probably in the summer. We, we would do like a movie night, but I think dad made a point. He's like, Andrew's ready for this. He's like 10 years old. We're going to watch like the two Indiana Jones films, which was what it was for us was like, there's two Indiana Jones films. Uh, and we did it like two weeks in a row. And like, of course it's absolutely captivating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, sometime shortly after this film came out, we went, uh, I went with my family to, I think it was universal studios in California and they had an Indiana Jones like uh, show. And it was amazing. <laughs> uh i i just like i'll never forget it it was mm. um it was explosions and indy like running around and using his whip and uh-huh. uh fighting people and it was just like it was so so amazing uh <laughs> to see it in real life it was uh just uh i don't know i can't say life-changing but my goodness it was just so cool to be that age and see that in real life yeah that's awesome so that's all i had to say Oh, and also uh, Temple of Doom does did not <laughs> exist uh, in our family either. <laughs> we, we've heard that from a lot of families, especially uh, <laughs> more religious families. Like Temple of Doom was one that was not 
in the rotation. <laughs> that was, uh, we, we've had several guests who like as kids that was, they were just like, yeah. nope, you're not watching that one. I'd, I'd say we were, uh, we definitely would be classified as a religious family, but I don't think it was on religious grounds. I think it was more just, there's an age where you can introduce a kid to something like Last Crusade and maybe uh-huh. tell them to do, you uh-huh. gotta be a little older. And by then, it's like, oh, they already know Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, I have some trivia about Indiana Jones. And Pete, I imagine you have buckets more than I do. <laughs> so you're welcome to jump in with anything that is particu- particularly significant. Um, but much like Star Wars, George Lucas dreamt up of the story that would become Indiana Jones because he wanted the sort of adventure films that he saw in movie serials when he was a kid. Uh-huh. And he and Spielberg uh, were talking and Spielberg had said that he wanted to do a James Bond movie. And Lucas said, I have a better idea. I'm gonna, let me tell you about this character called Indiana <laughs> Smith that I'm, I'm preparing an adventure for. <laughs> and Spielberg loved the idea. There were a few tweaks, obviously, along the way to the finished product. <laughs> but that is the, uh, the rumored origins of Indiana Jones. Uh, as I'm sure we know, there are four Indiana Jones uh, films that are out, and a fifth has been announced with a release date in 2020, and Spielberg and Harrison Ford are attached to wow. uh, direct and star in that one, unless yeah. something changes. How old will Harrison Ford be in the year 2020? I think he's going to be 80. Too old to be Indiana Jones. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I, think his, I think he's hitting 80. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, like, so you say too old to be Indiana Jones, but what does that mean? Too old to be hanging from the side of a tank? Probably. <laughs> I mean, Joseph, you're yes. never too old to punch a Nazi in the face. That's true. But, <laughs> but the hanging from the side of the tank is more of what I was thinking. Yeah. That's, uh, that's who knew right. that reference would become so topical? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. <laughs> It's also crazy, though, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, like, when you think of an 80-year-old man, you don't think of Harrison Ford. And it's kind of amazing, <laughs> like, how different, like, even when you think of a 70-year-old man, you don't, or, you know, you know, yeah, 65-year-old man. He's still quite spry, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious where they take it. Although, you know, when they made this, Sean Connery wasn't actually that old. Yeah. And, did they have, like, a 10-year age difference? Yeah, I think it's 12 years. It's pretty close. Wow. And they made him into kind of a doddering old guy, so... You have to feel like I guess they can go the other I way. I mean, the the with the Crystal Skull, they kind of tried to do like a passing of the torch thing, didn't they? I think I only saw that film one time. I definitely there, only saw there that was film definitely one a time. Stab at that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was, and then they kind of they were kind of playful about it because you know Mutt was going to pick up the hat, and then Indy kind of snatched it back at the end, and you're kind of like, well, maybe I'm not ready to give that up. <laughs> I mean, it, like <laughs> it, at some point, you have to stop doing Rocky Four and start doing Creed. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I think my, my feeling is that Indiana Jones should be treated like the James Bond franchise, and mm-hmm. he should always be racing Nazis for something supernatural. In the late 30s. Ah, okay. Yeah, I late see. 30s. I see yeah. what you're saying. Or into the 40s. I'm with, uh, you. I'm with you on that. And you can recast it. Getting not, mm-hmm. you know, beating the Nazis is always going to be satisfying. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and of course, whoever does it next, no one's going to like. But once there's someone who is after that guy, I think we'll start to say, see. <laughs> right. who, who was that in James Bond? Who was the second one that no one liked and then it was okay by the third? Uh, was it Pierce Brosnan? No. No, he, no, he was no, many. Was the... uh, Timothy Dalton wasn't super popular. But I like I, I like Timothy Dalton in general. Yeah. yeah. So I feel yeah. bad about that. <laughs> Roger so Moore is... also had, had, had his... Yeah. Who is playing uh, Han Solo in the new film? Do we know? Alden, Alden Ein, Einreich? Well, there, yes. There's that name. Yeah. He should be. He should be. Yeah, he should be. He's the uh, Harrison Ford replacement. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Let's wait till we see the Han Solo movie before we declare that. (laughs) That's a very good point. (laughs) 
All right, my last bit of trivia is that in this film, young Indiana Jones is played by River Phoenix, who tragically died from a drug overdose only a few years later at the age of 23. And as I was double-checking the information about his death, I found out, and I'd never heard of this, he died outside of a nightclub on October 31st, and inside the nightclub, his friend Johnny Depp was playing with his band, yeah. and Depp was a part owner of that club, and from that date until Depp show uh, Depp sold his ownership of the club. The club was never open on October 31st to honor wow. River Phoenix. It was oh, I didn't know it was that. Was closed true. memorial for that. He's My uh, co-host from Indiana now. Jones has played that club several times. The Viper Room. Oh wow! All right, Pete. Any other fascinating tri- Indiana Jones trivia that you've come across in hosting a daily podcast about the Indiana Jones films? <laughs> well, you know, one thing I was amazed at was how much uh, how much of Temple of Doom worked and didn't work because Harrison Ford injured his back while they were filming it. And they basically completely rewrote the script and I think in some ways made it a better movie, in some ways made it a lot worse movie because of, you know, the star's injury. Uh-huh. And it, I guess it's, you... it's pretty incredible how much of these movies are just Harrison Ford. Yeah, I think his charisma cannot be underrated in talking about what makes Indiana Jones a great character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening, and especially uh, we want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers, and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right, I'm going to give a full spoiler synopsis summary of this film. So, listeners, if you've never seen this, go find it and watch it and then come back. <laughs> We're not uh, even going to say, like, if you want to. Like, if you haven't seen it, like, go, go get it. It's on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. yeah, and it is great. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. All right, so here we go. It is 1912 in southern Utah, and a Boy Scout troop is on a hike. One member of the troop, a young Indiana Jones, stumbles upon grave robbers slash treasure hunters who have found a golden crucifix. Affronted that they want this historical object for profit rather than presenting it to a museum where it belongs, Indy steals it from them. And a crazy chase ensues, ensues, and it involves horses, cars, a circus train with lots of snakes, a rhino, a lion, etc., etc. I'm not going to describe every beat of the action. Uh, and that will happen in other action sequences. I'm just going to say, great action happens. Uh, Indy gets away, but the local sheriff makes him give the crucifix back to the men. The leader of this band of robbers is impressed with young Indy's spunk though and gives him his fedora we now jump ahead to 1938 where harrison ford's indiana jones is on a boat trying to steal back the same cross which he still insists belongs in a museum after a fair amount of punching and fire and explosions he succeeds back at his day job teaching archaeology at a university uh jones is teaching a class and after the class ends he gives the cross to his friend marcus brody for his museum outside of his office a and todd you're you're a professor as well what is a good name uh, like a group noun for a horde of students (laughs) yeah i like a horde of students (laughs) okay Uh, outside of his office there's a horde of students that are clamoring for his attention he tells his secretary is this what what it looks like outside your office when you have office hours Uh, no, no, I've never had it quite like this. <laughs> I have had uh, a line at the end of the semester of students who are concerned about things, but never quite, <laughs> quite like this one. Uh, see, so uh, Dr. Jones tells his secretaries to give the students numbers and he'll take them one by one. He goes in his office, he sticks an o- unopened piece of mail into his pocket and then climbs out of a window. <laughs> Which I have felt the urge to do that, even if I've never had the horde of students. <laughs> Aren't you on like the third floor? 
<laughs> now, here, yes, at my old university, no. Um, a group of men insist that Dr. Jones needs to go with them, and we go to a swanky kind of restaurant where a party's happening, and we are introduced to Walter Donovan, who has been funding a quest to recover the Holy Grail. He found a piece of a clue, an inscription from a knight of the First Crusade who had found the Holy Grail, and the Holy Grail in this mythology is the cup which caught the blood of Christ as he died on the cross, and it now grants immortality to anyone who drinks from it. Indy says that Donovan has the wrong Dr. Jones because his father is the one that is obsessed with the grail. Donovan reveals that Indy's father was leading the quest, but disappeared in Venice. So Indy and his friend Marcus travel to Venice, the last place where his father was seen. They meet Dr. Elsa Schneider, an Austrian archaeologist who was working with Indy's father. Elsa takes them to the library where she last saw Indy's dad, and Indy recognizes a stained glass window. The library is actually a converted church. Uh, he, you see that package that he stuck in his pocket earlier was his dad's diary about the Holy Grail. And it had all of the dad's clues and studies about it. And inside of that diary, there was a picture of that very same window. Indy quickly realizes that they need to find the Roman numeral X. This is a clue that is in the window. And he eventually realizes that the X is on the floor. X is literally marking the spot. He breaks through the floor and he and Elsa drop into catacombs that are filled with rats and petroleum. They discover the grave of another knight uh, from the Crusades, and that gives them another clue to finding the grail. A mysterious group follows them into the catacombs, and they drop a match into the petroleum that is down there, and a fire whooshes through. Uh, through some solid ingenuity, they escape, though. Indy and Elsa are <laughs> unharmed. <laughs> and then a boat chase ensues through the harbor. And you would imagine this harbor had been set up perfectly for just such a boat chase. <laughs> it's like an <laughs> obstacle course <laughs> for these false speed boats to go through. Um, after a number of their pursuers die, Indy interrogates the lone survivor, a man named Kazim. He is part of a brotherhood that has protected the Grail for centuries. Indy insists he is looking for his father, not the Grail, and Kazim says that Indy's father is being held in Castle Brunwald on the Austrian-German border. Later, Marcus shows Indy a map in the diary that they can now use because Indy found the clue that they needed to understand this map. Indy rips out that page, gives it to Marcus, and tells him to go to the city called Iskenderun. I think I've said that how they said it in the movie, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, and Marcus is to meet his old friend Sala there. Now, Indy and Elsa travel to Castle Brunewald to rescue his father. It is teeming with Nazis. Through some comedic action, Indy uh, rescues his father, but when they try to escape, Elsa is being held at gunpoint by a Nazi. Indy's dad says, don't worry, she's a Nazi, but Indy still surrenders, only to learn that she was a Nazi. Uh, <laughs> over in Iskenderun, Marcus is captured. And uh, we cut back to Indy and his father, and we get some more comedic action. And this is great action directing from Spielberg. some of the best in the film. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not going to go beat by beat of what happens. They just get out of the castle. Uh, and Indy and his father, they've escaped. But Indy sa or Indy's dad says, where's the book? My, my diary. And Indy says, well, I gave the map to Marcus. We don't need the book anymore. And his father says, no, it has clues to pass three challenges that one must pass in order to reach the Holy Grail. So they've got to go back and find Elsa, who's in Berlin, at a Nazi book burning. Uh, <laughs> they get the diary back from her, then they try to escape on a Zeppelin, but the Nazis catch on to them, so they try to escape in a biplane. And in one of my favorite beats, <laughs> while trying to shoot down the Nazi planes that are chasing them, Indy's dad damages the biplane that they are in, and he turns <laughs> and says, Indy, they got us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they crash, 
They crash and walk away from their wounded biplane and try to drive away in a car, but one of the planes follows them into a tunnel, and that destroys that plane that was following them, but a second plane blows a hole in the road ahead of them, and they crash the car into that hole. Then Indy's dad scares a flock of birds that fly up into the path of that second plane, and it crashes. So now eventually the Joneses meet up with Sala, who tells them about Marcus being captured. Uh, they catch up to the Nazi caravan that is uh, following the map to the Holy Grail. Uh, there's a long but completely awesome fight sequence that follows. Uh, a huge part of it is Indy on horseback versus a Nazi in a tank, and it is just a lesson in how to stage action sequences <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this whole sequence ends with many of the Nazis dead, and Indy stuck on a tank that has that drives over a cliff. His dad runs up to the cliff and screams his name and laments how he never told him what he needed to. And off to the side, Indy climbs up the, from the cliff and joins his dad and his friends in looking down over the edge. And his friends and father laugh happily at seeing him, but then say, hey, we gotta get going. <laughs> Nazis are going after the Holy Grail. I love, I love how his dad says, five minutes would have been enough. And I'm like... Really? You have not talked to your son for 20 years, and all you need is five minutes to say what you've got to say? Like, wow. And then when his son gets up there, he doesn't take those five minutes. He yeah, just says, come on, no, he doesn't know. Yeah. He's like, let's go throw ourselves into the path of uh, possible death immediately. Let's take the five minutes. Come on. <laughs> so they catch up to the surviving Nazis who are led by Walter Donovan and Elsa Snyder. Uh, and they are attempting to enter the secret location of the Holy Grail, but every Nazi they send in gets killed by the very first challenge. The Nazis <laughs> capture the Joneses, and when they refuse to go in, uh, Donovan shoots Indy's dad. Now knowing that the only thing that will save his dad is the Holy Grail, Indy goes in. First, he must kneel and roll, which has always bothered me, when he senses the breath of God. <laughs> then... Then he has to step on floor tiles, spelling Jehovah in Latin. And if he steps on the wrong letter, he falls through. And I've got some more questions about that one. Uh, and then he has to take the leap of faith by stepping out into what looks like a bottomless crevasse, but is really just some very cool perspective work that hides a bridge. And I've got some more questions about that one, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're watching the movie, you don't... I have so yes, many questions about so many different parts of this film. <laughs> but, 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 but when you're watching it, you're just enjoying this movie. Yeah, you get caught up in the action where the camera pans to the left and shows the awesome perspective work of that bridge you're like oh yeah. who painted that and then yeah. later on you're like wait really who painted that <laughs> i feel like uh i feel like we've seen a, a series of like perfect works uh in a row on this show but perfect for different reasons and this is definitely not perfect because of a perfect plot right <laughs> <laughs> i'm with you there <laughs> So Indy now enters a room where an ancient but very much alive knight from the Crusades tells him that he must choose wisely from a room full of cups. The Nazis, Walter Donovan and Elsa, follow behind Indiana, though. And Donovan wants to drink from the Holy Grail, but he doesn't know which to choose. Elsa hands him the gaudiest cup in the room and says, this is the cup of the King of Kings. Donovan drinks and promptly dies of rapid onset old age and decay. <laughs> <laughs> the knight notes that he chose poorly <laughs> then elsa and indy pick a humble wooden cup the cup of the carpenter and they drink and nothing happens and the knight says that they have chosen wisely indy runs back to his father with the cup and makes him drink some and then he pours water from the cup onto his bullet wound which heals with an alka seltzer like bubbling <laughs> and 
Elsa tries to leave the temple with the Holy Grail, but it's not supposed to be taken past the seal on the floor. And she, when she crosses that, it all starts to shake and break apart, and Elsa falls down a crevasse. There's a lot of crevasses in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but Indy catches her. She, seals, she sees, though, that the Grail is on a ledge just out of her reach. And she reaches for it. And Indy insists that she... she help him to pull her up and in reaching for the grail though she falls to her death and now indy slips into the same (laughs) crevasse and is caught by his dad and he too is tempted by the same holy grail that he just watched elsa die trying to reach but his father convinces him to let it go and indy his dad marcus and sala escape and ride off into the sunset never be heard from again because there are no more indiana jones movies right no (laughs) other indiana jones movies have ever made guys Uh, you know, the first thing that jumps out at me after after you give this summary, uh, one of the things that amazed me about Temple of Doom when we were covering it is that so many of the scenes from Temple of Doom were originally in the script for Raiders of the Lost Ark, like jumping out of the plane with the raft and going down the mountainside in the snow. That that was originally in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Indy jumps out of the plane and he winds up in, uh, in the village where uh, Marion's bar is. And like the scene in the beginning in Club Obi-Wan was going to be at the beginning of Raiders when Indy goes to Hong Kong to try to get the first half of this, the headpiece of the Staff of Ra from a Chinese gangster. And then the minecarts was going to be at the end of that movie. And so I thought it was interesting because in this movie, um, when they when they shoot it, when uh, Indy's dad shoots up the, the tail of the plane, that was originally in Temple of Doom and short round when they're flying on Lao Shea's plane. <laughs> Uh, somehow has a machine gun and he shoots out. He's shooting out at the door because Lao Shea's kid is following him in a in a plane, trying to shoot him down. And short round shoots up the tail of the plane, and that's what that's why they crash. <laughs> so was the uh, was so the refrigerator still from? They're still borrowing. <laughs> was yep. the refrigerator scene from Crystal Skull uh, originally supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> Last Crusade? No, but I do I do have. Uh, if you follow the the genesis of, of how they came up with this story, like there's a lot of stuff that makes the refrigerator look downright just commonsensical. <laughs> like there were some pretty bonkers ideas for these this this movie. So you you had mentioned uh, a little before we started recording that you had a couple variations on uh, some possible plots. Do what are some things that almost happened for Indiana Jones three? Well, George Lucas really, really, really wanted to do two things. He wanted to have the movie take place in a haunted Scottish castle, and he wanted to have him search for the Holy Grail. And Steven Spielberg said, I don't want to do the haunted castle. I did Poltergeist. You know what? I don't want to do that again. And he thought the Holy Grail was just too esoteric and people wouldn't get it. So in the end, they ended up compromising. But the first thing they did after... George Lucas kind of wrote up this this treatment is Spielberg uh, called up his buddy Chris Columbus, who had written Goonies and Young Sherlock Holmes. And he basically just took dictation from what George Lucas wanted. In his script, he started off with the haunted house and Indy has to battle this Scottish ghost. He's a baron, Baron Seamus, who's a Scottish ghost. And he, he makes it past that. And that's kind of the little intro. And then Indy ends up going down to Africa and he's going to help this Catherine Hepburn type lady. And she has discovered uh, this group of 200-year-old pygmies. And one of these pygmies has been kidnapped by the Nazis. And Indy goes to try to chase him down and get him back. And during this chase, Indy is actually killed. But at that point, the Monkey King shows up uh, and and basically raises him from the dead. <laughs> and at that point, they're... They, they realized that they were searching for the garden of immortal peaches and they, they have found it 
once Indy's brought back from the dead. <laughs> that, was, that was script number one. And Spielberg immediately fired Chris Columbus. <laughs> I, I don't blame him for that one. <laughs> and You're out. Go make Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. And Chris Columbus said, like, he was super intimidated working with George Lucas because, you know, he was his idol, you know, from Star Wars and everything. And so basically he just wrote down everything George told him to write down and didn't, you know, his common sense was saying, this is dumb. Like, <laughs> this is a bad movie. But he's like, this is George Lucas. Yeah. Way. But he didn't at all. He just he just wrote it. And Spielberg was like, nope. <laughs> wow. So then they went to Menno Meyers. Um, I, I said he was Spanish. He's actually Dutch. Okay. Um, but he had a pretty good pedigree. Like he'd worked on Color Purple. He'd worked on Empire of the Sun. And so Steven Spielberg also had a good relationship with him. But his story was by far the most bonkers. Like it was crazier than Chris Columbus's, I think. Wait, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he, got, he got story credit for Last Crusade. And they, they took some of his ideas. But in his version, Indy is searching for his dad and the Holy Grail. Um, Spielberg finally relented and said, we'll do the Grail. But if we're going to do the Grail, we also have to have something else. Because I think they realized in Temple of Doom that they didn't have enough of a MacGuffin. So he said, we'll do the, da- we'll do the Grail if we also have Indy looking for his dad. And I think George is like, okay, that's okay. So Minomaeus comes up with this story where Indy is searching for his dad and the Grail. It kind of plays out like this one, but at the end... Indy has to battle a demon for the grail. Um, He gets it, but then his dad touches the grail, which explodes, and his dad ascends to heaven on a celestial stairway. What? And after that happens, Indy has a love interest in the movie who is a Catholic nun named Chantal. And Chantal is also given the opportunity to ascend into heaven, and she decides to stay on Earth because she loves Indy. Wow. Okay. Now, it seems really weird to say that Indy had a love interest who was a Catholic nun, but he uh-huh. does have a love interest who is a Nazi archaeologist. So. Yeah, he, 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 <laughs> yeah he, he's, uh, he gives everybody a chance. I'll say that. Yes. <laughs> Good for him. He's so generous. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so amazing. then after that, Spielberg, I think they went to uh, Jeffrey Boehm, who ended up writing the script. Uh, but his first script was a little bit strange too it starts in mexico with indy hunting an aztec relic for a museum curator um there's also a circus train in that and then they they do have elsa's in it now and he and she and indy are searching for indy's dad in the end they do come up to the grail knight and indy and the grail knight have a battle on horseback (laughs) and then in this this one ends with indy's dad falling into the chasm and indy saves him So it's it's a lot closer. And then they basically took that one and massaged it and worked on it. And we ended up with what we got now. Wow. Which what we have now, I want to say, is totally perfect. Like we've been talking about a lot of things. <laughs> like there's something uh-huh. about this film that is that is perfect amidst all the imperfections of this film. Yeah. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of weird elements that you can pick apart. And I still have questions about the three tasks and like mm-hmm. who resets the the step the the letters if they step on the wrong one and when he stepped on the wrong yes. one how did he grab onto a whole bunch of other wrong letters to keep himself up yeah <laughs> also like below it everything is hollow so how are the right letters supported yeah because it's like it's just an empty massive yeah. chasm under those letters <laughs> but there's still so much fun and joy in watching this movie yeah. though and the letters were a late addition because i think originally they had if you stepped on the wrong letter a tarantula crawled up your leg and they filmed that, and it just didn't work. Like Spielberg thought, that's just not a, that's not enough. There's so no I, tension I think was, to that. Yeah, there was a late game change where they changed it to the letter collapses, and I think 
that's it, they didn't really think it through as as well as they might have. But I can't I can't picture but it works. Yeah. So when he falls through and he's hanging, I I'm totally with you, Joe. That it, it makes no sense for him to be holding on to letters like the wrong letters. <laughs> but but I always imagine that the right letters were like at the top of a pillar or something that you could stand. Uh-huh. That's how I that's how I imagine that the right letters stay up. That's how I always. Uh, but I can't. That's how I resolved it in my brain after I watched it. But then the next time I watched it, I was like, nope. There's nothing they're there. Not, they're not. There's, there, there's no pillars. It's, like, it's just a big chasm. Um, is it time to like bring out our nits with this? Because I have a few questions. Sure. Let's, let, all right. Let, let's. We, we Sometimes wait, after wait, wait. we before, talk about it. Before you say the negative things, everyone go around and say one really positive thing about this movie. So we, it's clear that like this is a great movie with a great character. Okay, so. uh, I will just I'll start by saying the relationship between Indiana Jones and his father is just a joy to watch unfold. And it's so believable. The uh, the need for approval that they each have from the other and the reticence they have to give the other one any approval. I, <laughs> I love to watch it. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a whole bunch of notes. Uh, they're mostly just questions. And then at the very end, I just, I just sort of gave up. And it says that my note says none of this makes any sense. Dot, dot, dot but it sure is fun. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I couldn't say I, I had to say my positive thing after the negative thing, but um, <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot of fun. And tonally it's like, it's perfect. It's a perfect Indiana Jones movie in that we uh-huh. have Harrison Ford being Indiana Jones and doing an awesome job. We get the bonus of uh, Sean Connery and, um, and that all of that works. But the story is just bananas. <laughs> I can't make I can't make heads or tails of most of what's going on. What about you, Pete? Well, I I love the uh, the treasure hunt aspect of it. Like I love the mystery. I love them following a series of clues, and I I love the dad thing. I love the relationship and the, the fact that the Holy Grail really is finding his dad and, and the dad finding the son. And I love. You know that very end when when he asks what he found and his dad says enlightenment, and I think that's I think that sums up everything I love about yeah. Indiana Jones. I did see a quote from Spielberg where he said, "In decide in like finally acquiescing and saying, okay, we can do the Holy Grail." He said, "I had to like say for me thematically, the Holy Grail is actually like amended relationship between a father and a son." Mm-hmm. Right. That's really what the mm-hmm. Holy Grail that we're all searching, you know, that yeah. I mean, if you know Steven Spielberg's history, Spielberg's films. Yeah, yeah, a lot of his films, a lot yeah. of his filmography is about fathers and sons. Yeah. We should add Hook to our list of recommended uh, episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, a, I have a series of questions here. I'd like to run through them. Some of these might have short answers and some of them might have longer answers. Uh, question number one, how in the world does Indiana Jones not open the package immediately when it gets to him? If you if you had a mysterious package sent to you from Venice that felt like a book, wouldn't you open it? <laughs> well, he was in a hurry to get out of his uh, his office yeah, to, if you, if to escape the students. That made it a horror. He's just like students. grabbing the mail, tucking it in his pocket. All right, I'm getting out of here. I challenge any doctor of anything to not open the package <laughs> immediately when they get it. So that's a first question. Um, second question yeah, is Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, so, 
we we have this whole setup at the beginning about how Indiana Jones is all about uh, preserving history and things should belong in museums, and then he just <laughs> destroys the floor of this library, this beautiful church. <laughs> he just, uh, I I don't get that. Um, well, and also flipping over the Knight Templar grave. Yes. Yeah, like oh, this is all going. of that. So, is that actually gasoline that they're walking through in the in, when they're in, in, the, the in the catacombs? Yeah, in the tombs. It's extremely flammable. Yeah, or some kind of petroleum. Yeah. He he says petroleum. That's the word that he uses. Yeah, so he he goes, he like falls into that and then immediately lights a lighter. He's soaking wet. (laughs) He's soaking in gasoline. And 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 then he lights a torch that he's holding and there's fire dripping off of that thing. Yeah. I don't understand how any of that works. And then he actually, when he's swimming underneath, he opens his eyes. In the gasoline, <laughs> I don't, I don't get how Which any of this would works. have to burn. I think. Yeah, well, if, if that's even ignoring the fact that he's in Venice and he's like, you know what? I bet there are catacombs underneath this church in this city that's on top of water. Right, it's pro- probably <laughs> flooded at best, and, and no one has thought to look under an ancient church. <laughs> right. Well, and then they don't really explain how they get out of that one. Like they're they're swimming under the fire until they find somewhere where With there's not so much fire, <laughs> uh-huh. and then they climb out the sewer. Yeah. It, it's definitely a King Kong cut of an escape. Yeah, where when the storyteller doesn't want to have to explain something, oh, yeah. they just cut to it having have happened. Absolutely. But they they balance it between like the action of the fire and then further action of the boat chase, so you don't have time to think about it. Why does the old knight get old? I guess it's prolonging. Okay, not, if we're going to start digging infinite. into the night, I've got a few questions. My question is not how how has he aged, it's how has he not gone insane? <laughs> okay. He's oh, yeah. Right. He's, he's, he's infinitely noble and uh, resilient. He's disciplined. <laughs> he has that one book to look at for a thousand years. Yeah. And everything <laughs> in that it's book like is... 800. <laughs> and also everything in that book is preparing him for the next life which he's never going to have <laughs> like it's just like it's it's a book talking about all the wonderful things you're never going to have <laughs> how many times do you think he started to like walk out of the temple he's like come on i can i can do it i can yeah no, i yeah. gotta stay i gotta stay <laughs> the other two gotta leave i'm supposed to stay until someone who's worthy challenges me <laughs> the wall should just be covered in scribbling of his like I'm going insane. I think I'm Little going stick insane. figures and stuff. So I, I just I, I don't understand if if the if the Holy Grail gives you everlasting life, does it really give you everlasting life, or does it just give you extraordinarily long life because you're aging more slowly? I don't know because mm-hmm. because uh, like when they do Crystal Skull. Dad is dead, and Indy has aged definitely. Well, the, the two that leave, it seems like you got to drink fairly regularly from the cup because yeah. the mm-hmm. two that leave age and die, right? right. But like they're impossibly old; yeah. they should be dead. But when they leave, they age and die. So I think you've got to drink semi regularly from but, the Holy Grail. Yeah. So maybe when we see the knight and he's old, it's because he's like, "I'm done. I'm not drinking." It's fifty years later. Uh, I'm still yeah. not drinking. Okay. So you think he's like yeah. he's seeing how long he can go? <laughs> he's not like Holy Grail. <laughs> I, I, I want to make it. I want to make it easy for the guy that comes after me, so I'm going to get weak. And there's also the theory out there that the the whole reason that Indy survives the refrigerator in Crystal Skull is because of drinking from the grill. But his dad drank and his dad's gone. This is true. So, uh, next question. Yeah, maybe maybe it only inoculates you against certain things. Why does the knight turn around and just start speaking English to Indiana? Like, isn't he French? (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Even even English, like anybody who spoke English at the time would not have recognized anything. That, I mean, he and Indy would not have been able to communicate. Oh, no. Yeah. I never even thought about that one. I think he must be sneaking out semi-regularly and like going yeah. on pilgrimages around the yeah. world and just yeah. trusting no one's going to go find the grail while he's out. <laughs> yeah. He's got one of those little Sony Watchman TVs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then pick this up in Cairo. <laughs> yeah. My final, my final question is Donovan. He walks in. He is surrounded by people who hate him and would, would uh-huh. probably like him dead. And then he just trusts that Elsa will pick out a cup, and then he drinks from it. Like, why not ask Elsa to drink from it first? Or go bring or one go of your Nazi yeah. lackeys that you're already killing off. Go bring pretty, one of the one of the clear you, you were not concerned about their lives based on the number of heads that were rolling around. I just it makes no sense to me. Well, see, I like that because I think that's at the end. That's just him being greedy. That's him. He can't he can't wait anymore. It's like a kid on Christmas morning. You've waited, you've waited, you waited. You're not waiting until your parents wake up. You're going to run downstairs and open the presents. Even if you know one and of your presents like, might kill you. <laughs> but he doesn't know that there's a negative potential. And he also doesn't want to risk giving immortality to one of his lackeys, right? You don't want an expendable yeah. hanging out with you for all time. <laughs> and he doesn't trust, he doesn't take his own, he doesn't take his own advice where, he, you know, he told Indy, don't trust anybody. And then he trusts Elsa who betrays right. him. And and Elsa, it was exactly Elsa that he was talking about before. Don't trust her, right? When he says, don't trust anybody, yeah. it means don't trust Elsa. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, those are, all my, uh, those are all my questions. Everything else makes perfect sense. <laughs> I, my, my big negative for this movie is uh, Sala and Marcus. Like that for me, that's hard to swallow because I love those two guys so much from Raiders. And in this movie, they're just kind of clowns. They they definitely have undergone a bit I of like a dumbing Sala down. Fine, I mean he he messes up and puts Brody in the Nazi truck, mm-hmm. but before that he has a very effective method of dealing with the two Nazis in suits that approach them, and he holds up the newspaper. I do like the run. run. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Run! I said run, and then he punches the guy through the newspaper. That's great. And then just like he pushes the other guy into a cart, and then he's just ready to start fighting. <laughs> Like I think that's that's peak Sala, and then he's grabbing the extra camels to make up for his brother's car. I like did love that one. <laughs> but other than that, he he doesn't do a whole lot of useful stuff. Yeah. So before we talk now, I guess any other last nits to pick before we start talking about what works about this film? Uh, no. Well, I personally I think that they they made indie. Uh, I think a lot of the magic of Raiders is that Indy is such a dark, conflicted character. And he is just a slight push away from becoming Belloc. And, you know, you give him a slight shove and he goes out of the light and into the shadow. And in Temple of Doom, that is still that's still in him. Like you still see this dark side and this light side and he's kind of fighting it. And in this movie, he's just sort of all American action hero. And I, I feel like he's lost some of the depth. And I feel like this movie has lost some of the, the, the power that the, the first two had just because it really plays it safe. I think it plays it safe. Uh, like the, the only moments where you you're like... Oh, come on, Indy, is when he's reaching down for the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of give you that, but it's certainly not as prominent a character trait. But I think what you gain is this push and pull once he, he's with his dad, yeah. right? Oh, like, yeah, ab- absolutely. The dad thing more than makes up for it, I think. Yeah, the emotion picks up once they're together, which isn't until almost two-thirds of the movie yeah. in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about young Indy for a minute. I think I, I, I like this beginning of this movie. 
I, I think I could say it's one of my favorite things about the film. Um, it's kind of amazing how many uh, things that we associate with Indiana Jones come out of this one experience. Uh, yeah. The hat and the yeah. snakes and the scar. The scar, the scar and the whip. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun and I, there's something. So I'm a total sucker for canon and I'm a total sucker for, um, like just give me more of a story. So I'm totally into right now. I'm totally into like the star Wars, the new, the new canon novels and stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. I just love to see when a story is put together that explains something that I know and love and, and I like how the story works. Uh, it's great. And so I love the, I love the beginning of this because it, it's, it tells me where the hat came from in a way that I like. I, I don't know. I, I, it's I think it's a fun in, intro to this film. Yeah, I like it. It, it, it. That is it is still hard for me to swallow that everything that made indie indie later came from this one afternoon. Yeah. Well, except for like it's just the accoutrements. He still had like the same attitude. Like mm-hmm. he's he's like I'm gonna get in the scrap and I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'll make it up as I go along. Like that's the fundamental. Like that's how he he plans things. <laughs> But it was Lands, just like the the, accou- <laughs> the the accoutrements of the the hat and the whip and and all of that came from this experience. But then he also got the you know the fear of snakes and the yeah that's a good point. I do think River Phoenix has some of that edge that you were saying was missing from Indiana in this film. Mm-hmm. Like there is this kind of hardness in how he treats <laughs> the chubby scout, yeah. the other scout, yeah. and also how he interacts with his dad in that context. Yeah, too. and and the whole like. Yeah foolhardy decision-making process like you know i'm gonna do this thing uh-huh. i think there's more of that shades of gray in the opening sequence of indiana jones versus most of the rest of the film oh interesting i haven't thought of that i think i think you're right and river phoenix nails being a young indiana jones as far as i'm concerned i totally yeah. agree yeah i do i i i'm totally on board with you on that and Harrison, just little things like in in the his the like the look in his eyes and the tone of his voice, and he he nails it. Well, and I, apparently Harrison Ford had a big part in casting him, and Harrison Ford said this guy looks the most like me and acts the most like me when I was that age of anybody we've looked at. I think um, huh. I think it would have been before this that um, they were both in Mosquito Coast. Yeah, um, he was. His, yeah, he was his son in Mosquito Coast. I think. And so Harrison probably had a, a good experience with him on that, and mm-hmm. said, "This is the guy." Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a point when Harrison cared about who was playing his roles. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to have moved past that. <laughs> so uh, I have another question. Um, there's, uh, it, it, I think it's when um, when Marcus and Indy are in the house uh, getting the diary. Uh-huh. Or look, looking for the diary, and he says something about his dad, and he says he teaches. What does he say? He's not an archaeologist. He's a he's a literature yeah medieval professor. literature professor. Um, yeah, and then he says the kind that nobody wants to take his class. He's a bad <laughs> he's a bad professor. And then and then I was thinking about uh, Indy, and I'm wondering, is Indy a good no. professor? <laughs> <laughs> And do we do we get enough of Indy the Professor from this film to be able to make a, a judgment on that one way or the other? I don't really – I don't know how I feel about this. I, I feel like there's maybe arguments for well, and I against. Think, you I think no. we make an argument based on his practice of the field of archaeology. Mm-hmm. 
that okay. he is not a good academic. <laughs> Even if he insists that belongs in a museum, his right. treatment of ancient objects throughout all the films uh, has perhaps <laughs> a, a lack of professionalism. <laughs> okay. And, you know, I like that he gives that lecture, you know, when he's giving the lecture in the classroom, he tells the students, you know, this is what archaeology is. This is what archaeology is. X never marks the spot. And basically the complete opposite of everything he says in that lecture is what he does in the rest of the movie. I do enjoy that. Yeah. (laughs) So he's certainly not um, consistent in in, uh, like the way that he performs, quote unquote, archaeology. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what he teaches to his students. But I just, I think it's interesting that, um, like, all of his students seem to like his class. And not only the young women, but the young men also seem to be, like, really Mm -hmm. into the class. And, I mean, we were joking earlier about, like, office hours, but no professor has an office hours time that looks like (laughs) that. (laughs) That many students, like, clamoring for your attention. Which makes me think, maybe he is a good professor. Like, maybe he's actually a really good teacher. Or... Or is he a really bad teacher and they all need clarification on the assignments? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but d- they don't seem like mad students. They seem like like eager students, don't they? Uh, I don't I don't think I've ever gotten a good read on the again the horde of students that are out there. What is like they're all waving papers in their hands, right? Mhm. So are they upset about grades? Well, the girls are or all are... looking at him googly eyed. Yeah. Yes. So I, I don't know that I have a good handle on what his relationship is with those students and how often is he actually lecturing if he just got back from the coast of Portugal, saving right. the cross, and he's about to fly off to Venice the next day? Right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and he did that in Raiders, too. You know, he just he's, he's never at his office hours. He's one of those professors that's there because of the prestige he brings to the university because he keeps finding these ancient artifacts, not uh-huh. because of the classroom skill. Right, right. I, I'd say Indiana Jones is one of the iconic film franchises that, that we have at, coming out of Hollywood. But what is it about Indiana Jones that makes it so famous particularly when whatever like we've said some people have mixed feelings about temple of dune some people have mixed feelings about last crusade i think everyone has mixed feelings about kingdom of the crystal skull (laughs) so if we're saying half the films are good (laughs) half give people mixed feelings what is it about Indiana jones that makes him so iconic that's 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 a hard one to answer i i think a lot of it is he it's a lot of it is what harrison ford brings to him he's this incredibly charismatic guy who is also a a person that all of us can relate to he doesn't always know what's going on in fact he usually doesn't know what's going on he's a little bit dopey and he's making things up as he goes along but ultimately you know you know his heart is deep down inside in the right place and you just you can't help but root for the guy the word that comes to my mind is adventure like this Uh uh-huh this is like the quintessential uh like like perfect adventure story to me and i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know what makes a great adventure but it's it's in this film or it's in these films and there's there's uh, it's like this the perfect concoction of um action and charisma and romance and um exotic locations and mysterious uh artifacts and really great acting and directing mm-hmm. that all hold all of this together, even though the plot is like Swiss cheese. I mean, it's just so yeah. it's so weird, <laughs> and it doesn't really make a lot of sense, and and people's motivations don't make a lot of sense. And uh, but oh, talking about the plot, when 
when Indy has to go out there to rescue his dad, uh, why was his dad kidnapped when he was working to lead them to the Holy Grail? Had he stopped working and that's when the Germans just decided to kidnap him? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but the, the, the whole other thing about the about the plot is that, like, if if uh, Dad Jones, what's his name, Henry, 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 if yeah. Henry Jones doesn't go looking for the Grail, then the Grail's safe, right? Right. Like, it just it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me that they're like tr- trying to find it. So that I mean, it's kind of national treasure, right? Like. I'm going to try to find this thing so that the bad guys don't find it. But if I had never Uh even started looking in the first place, then the bad guys would have no chance of ever finding it. The bad, the the Nazis are never going to find it without the Joneses for sure. So it's, (laughs) it's it's like we need an excuse to make this film. And so we will do it and we'll we'll do whatever we need to. If we need to have uh, Henry kidnapped, then Mm -hmm. sure he was kidnapped. Why? Uh, it doesn't really matter because we get to see Indy, you know, do the whip thing around the cables and swing into the window. And that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, which it is. Unless and his dad knock him out with a Ming vase and be so, worried. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I like it in, in, in an earlier version of the, in an earlier draft, he hits him with the vase, you know, and he says, dad, I would have come, you know, if I were a Nazi, I would have come in through the front door. And he says, okay, then consider that for your bad algebra score. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah they don't need just five minutes to sort out this yeah. relationship <laughs> but i think there's also the, the, the possibility that they they kidnapped henry jones senior in order to be bait for indy because they they have some history already with him finding the ark of the covenant and i think they know you know they knew he was he was their lead to get them that and yeah. so i'm sure there's somebody up you know in the higher ups that knows well let's let's get this guy yeah he gets the job done yeah and this is the bait to do it yeah. One thing that definitely works about the Indiana Jones films is the John Williams score. Mm-hmm. I feel like we do this with every oh, yeah. John Williams scored film that we talk about. You just have to acknowledge that with different music, this whole thing would feel different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I I think going back to your question of um, why is Indiana Jones popular? I so obviously Spielberg and Lucas didn't invent this genre. But I feel like they reinvented it, kind of like how um, George Lucas sort of reinvented uh, sci-fi slash fantasy stuff with Star Wars. It's not like there's nothing like that that came before, but but there's also kind of nothing quite like it <laughs> that came before, and it sets a standard for a genre that's going to uh, just permeate film. And I feel like they did the same thing with Indiana Jones, like. There are a lot of th- similar things that came before, but once this is exists, once Raiders exists, it's like the they've created a pattern for just a million other things that can come after. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the brilliant things that Spielberg and Lucas did with these is they took an adventure movie, but each one kind of held out the promise of something transcendent at the end, and you know yeah. they 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 have this very religious you know, very visceral feeling that you get watching them. And you're like, well, there's something at the end of this that's really going to pay off. It's not just, you know, it's not just a golden treasure. Well, that's the line at the end of this film is um, she was, she was, she thought she'd got a prize, but I got elimination. Mm -hmm. 
she thought she mm-hmm. found a prize. I found illumination, and and that's uh, I think one of the sort of strangest lines in the film if you if you (laughs) if you read it literally right like it's it just doesn't make sense because they're all chasing after the grail uh but Uh if you but if you read it like you know the grail is a a positive relationship with your son uh then it Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense and i think if it had just been about the grail that it would fall uh flatter Mm -hmm. although that that also brings up the kind of strange irony that Indy has a religious epiphany at the end of every movie and it never carries over into the next movie. <laughs> like he's always right back to being cynical. It doesn't believe in anything Indy. In that way, it does definitely harken back to though, like uh, yeah. movie serials where yeah, like, that's true. you just watch one adventure and, yeah. and really you're watching to see the character you love in an adventure, not to see the character grow and evolve right. and change. Right. <laughs> which would, which would lend uh wait to your argument for just continuing to do Indiana Jones stories rather than let him get old. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the, if you watch the original uh, Star Trek series, like from one episode to the next, it's kind of like, do they not remember anything that happened <laughs> yeah. last week? Yeah. They've had adventures very similar to this one. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, it's like Dana Scully on the X-Files. Like how many times does she have to see an alien right. and, you know, actually meet an alien before she believes oh maybe, maybe there are actually aliens <laughs> are, are they watching the same show i am because i'm starting to pick up on some things uh oh uh as far as what else i think works and and make makes this all stand out spielberg's when when he is on his a game he can direct an action scene yeah. so mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and the the pacing and is amazing to like just give you enough beats, but he also like resets the action so you see what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. I, I hate the modern trend of action filmmaking where it's just shaky camera up close and you don't really right. know what's going on. Like you track the entire sequence from when Indiana Jones sees the Nazi caravan that his father until the tank goes over so perfectly. But if you try and describe that action, it is insane. <laughs> what is yeah. going on? Yeah. How many different points of view get shown? But the <laughs> editing is so deft and yeah. he, he's so skilled at that. And every once in a while, I feel like Spielberg like makes an action film and it's just throwing the glove down at Hollywood and saying, guys, this is how you do it. And now I'm going to go make some <laughs> historical drama that I really want to make. But I just need to remind you, this is how you do an action movie. Yeah. And I think, I think he said, I read somewhere that this scene with the tank was his favorite scene ever to storyboard. Like he, he had so much fun drawing out what was going to wow. happen, exactly what was going to happen in this scene. And he, I don't think it was fun to film. Because they had all kinds of crazy problems. And like most, you know, not least of which was the fact that the tank would only go 10 miles an hour. And they had to make it look like Harrison Ford was galloping along on a horse next to it. So they had to be pretty creative to to match the storyboards. But he said just creating the ideas, like everything that was going to happen. I think he just had a ball. It's certainly, um, the word that comes to mind is uh, like choreography. Like Mm -hmm. it's so well planned out every step like this really intricate dance which is very different mm-hmm. from the like just bludgeoning <laughs> that we see in uh, in <laughs> other in other films where uh-huh. it's just big explosions and it's it's hard to track and this feels it feels like every mm-hmm. i mean it, it doesn't surprise me that he enjoys storyboarding this because it's like so carefully laid out mm-hmm and he was like that was i think why he was able to be so successful with raiders is he he planned out 
very, very intricately every scene before they ever traveled to Tunisia, or, you know, before they did any shooting. And that allowed them to improvise a lot of stuff on the fly because he filmed some of those scenes with a handheld camera because he had he had gone over the planning so carefully. He knew what, what he wanted the ultimate picture to look like, uh-huh. that that would give him some room then to, to breathe while he was actually filming it. And it, it really it had a great synergy there that just it was magical. That's cool. Well, guys, any final thoughts on Indiana Jones, the character or on this movie itself? I've got a question about Indiana Jones, the character. So we talk sometimes we talk about um, like static and dynamic characters. Would we classify Indy as is he static or is he dynamic? Because it seems like this is a like a hero's journey kind of film. Mm -hmm. And it's about illumination. Um, It's about atonement with father. Right. (laughs) Uh, and I mean, it's, it's, you have a descent into the abyss and you have, you know, being called on a quest and an ultimate illumination after atonement with the father. Like it's, it has every, uh, every step of the hero's journey. Um, and so then this movie ends, then the next one starts, which I mean, you know, if you, admit that that film exists or recognize its existence <laughs> but i just I, it, it, we've we've talked about oh i don't know like malcolm reynolds from firefly and how he doesn't really change a lot over the course of the arc uh it's mostly just about watching this guy have a great time here it seems like pretty clearly spielberg wants us to see the change in this character um mm-hmm. But then at this, but at the same time, it's like, it's it, it's hard to distinguish Indy from the beginning for, from Indy at the end, <laughs> or maybe Indy at the beginning of one film from Indy at the beginning of another film. And so in in that case, he feels kind of static. I agree, uh, on some level. I think that there is a a an arc within each movie that seems to reset at the beginning of the next one. And so I think each story is kind of a little standalone arc, but then he goes back to being old Indy. Although I feel like Indy's a different character in each movie to a certain degree, um, which I think is interesting, but I think it makes this movie a little less interesting than the two before it, because I think Indy's definitely a, a softer character in this movie than he has been in the past. In some ways, it reminds me of what um, Umberto Eco wrote about American superhero comic books that they have to present the illusion of change in a story mm-hmm. in a storyline, but then always reset and give you the character, you know, and are familiar uh-huh. with already. Um, so like, we never really want Superman to change from being yeah. Clark Kent and Superman. And, but, but they give us the illusion of this narrative arc when they tell, uh, you know, a, a five issue story or anything like that. But then in the end, it's always going to kind of reset back to basics. Mm-hmm. And even with modern comic book storytelling, I think we get, these long story arcs where they experiment and they say, okay, now Lois is going to know Clark Kent is Superman. Now they're going to get married, but then eventually they still do a universe-wide reset where we're going to go back to the basics and have it's Superman and Clark Kent in a love triangle with Lois Lane. See, I wonder... Um, <laughs> and, and she doesn't know. I wonder if... I, I get what you're saying. I, I wonder if it's almost the opposite of that. So Umberto Eco says the, the illusion of change, but everything has to stay the same. I wonder if with Indiana Jones, it's really... The illusion that everything stays the same, but he's really changing over time. And maybe that's what bothers some people about uh, about the later films, because uh-huh. he's not the same guy that he was at the beginning, and that's what we want. 
uh-huh. uh, but we don't. But we don't get it. We get a softer indie in in Last Crusade, and we get an older indie in uh, Crystal Skull, and and it feels uh, I don't know wrong or dissatisfying or something to us because we want we want the change to only be the illusion of change, and we want it to reset, but it doesn't reset completely. It only sort of halfway resets, and feels weird. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case with Crystal Skull. Because he is, I mean, by that point, he is just straight up all American action hero. Yeah, you know, he saves the country. You know, he's a he's a war hero. All these things. It's really hard to imagine Indy from Raiders being. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's uh, I don't know something to think about. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think now that Disney has a franchise, there's no way, even if Spielberg and Harrison Ford make the fifth one, that that will be the last of Indiana Jones. Yeah, well, <laughs> with with Disney charge. So I think it'd be. It, it'll be interesting to track what happens in the next, you know, 10 years or 15 yeah. years. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested about that, too. <laughs> yeah. There's currently rumors about Indiana Jones land as part of, I think, Animal Kingdom is the main idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Huh? So, like, the, the expanding of the Indiana Jones franchise in the, under the Disney umbrella is at least rumored. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what kind of conversations they have at Disney uh, about Indiana Jones, but I imagine that they're kind of like this conversation where they say like who is this and what direction do we want to go do we want to reset everything or do we want to continue this progression and you can't really have it both ways you have to decide if you're going to keep telling the story Mm -hmm. you have to decide where you stand on this and it'll be interesting to see where it goes yeah i I think on the plus side you know you're still going to have steven spielberg and kathleen kennedy involved I think there's a good chance that they're going to try to to make amends for Crystal Skull. <laughs> Maybe let George Lucas's story ideas go a little more by the wayside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all love what George Lucas has given to the entertainment industry, but there have been some missteps <laughs> in his career. <laughs> I, I I said I only saw Crystal Skull right. one time. I I can't say that I hated the film. Although I only saw uh-huh. it one time, so I haven't been like dying to go back and watch it. But I also don't remember like being angry that it exists. It just sort of came and went for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in your boat too. Like I, I don't even, I don't actually understand some of the just sheer hatred for the movie. I don't think it was a, a particularly good movie, but it's still an Indiana Jones movie, and I think it's still got a lot of fun things about it. Yeah. I only like I, I look back and I remember like two or three sequences, but I couldn't tell you what the plot was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, but I think with a brand like Indiana Jones, that is a problem for mm-hmm. the company that it that you made a forgettable Indiana Jones yeah. movie, even if it wasn't actively the bad. Like the only movie recently that I felt like I was getting angry sitting in the theater watching the screen was Batman v yeah. Superman. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that, <laughs> like that movie to me was just like so bad. Like I actively disliked its existence. And Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull is just like, I, I think they made it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? The refrigerator scene is unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot argue with that. All right. Well, Pete, when we have a guest on for the first time, we have a question we like to ask because our podcast is all about great characters. Uh-huh. If you could have a dinner party with any three to five characters from all of storytelling history, what characters would you want to have around just to enjoy the conversation? So I, I was thinking about this. I and I this is I'm I'm the world's most indecisive person, and so if you asked me this question a hundred different times, you would get a hundred different answers. 
So this is hard. So I thought, well, maybe I better limit this to Steven Spielberg characters. Or kind of classic Spielberg Lucas characters. We'll try to stay with the theme. And so I was thinking I'd, I'd want Roy Neary from Close Encounters. Because um, I've always wanted to know, A, why the aliens loved him so much. And then, B, what he really saw when they took him up into the mothership. Because I don't think it was what we, we get in that special extended edition thing. Um, I think I'd choose uh, Wuhan, Indy's sidekick from Temple of Doom. <laughs> From the very beginning. From the very, yeah, the guy that gets shot in the beginning in Club Obi-Wan. Because he, A, he has Indy's love and knowledge of, arche- of archaeology and history. And, he, you know, he'd be a fascinating guy to talk to. But on the other hand, he's just got such insatiable curiosity about mysteries and life that he views death as a great adventure. You know, he just can't wait to find out what comes next. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's amazing. And then, uh, I think I'd have to choose Princess Leia. A, because I think, you know, we were fated to be together since I was in the fourth grade. <laughs> and uh, also, she's going to make any conversation a lot of fun. You know, she's going to keep it witty. She's going to have a lot of pizzazz. And, she's uh, got a lot of spunk about her. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I, I guess if we can choose anybody, though, I've, I've also got to throw in Buster Keaton from Sherlock Jr. Oh. <laughs> I don't know that he would say much. I don't think he would say anything, but that's why he got Princess Leia there. <laughs> at some, we have not tackled a silent film yet. I think we'll have to do that at some point. That's, that's oh, yeah. Particularly Buster Keaton. Oh, I love Buster Keaton so much. <laughs> I'm a Chaplin guy myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Harold Lloyd guy, too. I, I think he's... Oh, what's the one with the clock? I can't remember. That's Harold Lloyd. I know, but safety, what, what, yeah, safety last. Safety, safety last. Yeah, I had watched that just a little while ago. I'm like, this is just good storytelling. Yeah, I still even knowing how they did the this, the tricks, like I still like, I, I I'm on the edge of my seat the entire time that he's gonna fall. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Is that it? I think so. Okay. That. Oh wait, I just wanted to throw in one Go last thing. This movie has uh, maps with the red lines. Oh, uh, so good! Fly, <laughs> yeah, as they fly from point A to point B. I love that. I always love that. That is always good. I know people must think it looks cheesy, but more movies should be doing that. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I'm totally in camp. Red lines on maps. Spinning newspapers. Yeah. Red lines on maps. That makes unanimous. Spinning newspapers too. Yes, also fantastic. Yep. That wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. It really helps us out. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 133 when we discuss National Treasure. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We are also on Twitter at ProtagonistPod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. We have great conversations there with all of our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. And uh, Pete, where can our listeners find you? Um, uh, any place you find the Protagonist Podcast, you can also find us, the Indiana Jones Minute, iTunes or Google Play. Or you can just go to IndianaJonesMinute.com. Awesome. Uh, if you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. And thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. So long. 
for show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Yeah. What? Are we okay? Oh, Joseph. <laughs> it was a lag. I was a- it was a lag, and Joseph was trying to talk, and then it interrupted you. I'm very sorry. <laughs> okay, no more interruptions. <laughs>